This podcast is brought to you by public.com, the investing social network. Public is a free app where you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas in a community of investors. There are a few investing apps out there, but here's what's different about public. There are social features that allow people to share and discover new ideas, and the app supports responsible investing habits, so they don't encourage day trading, nor do they offer margin accounts or options. Features like safety labels on potentially risky stocks give members more complete context. Public has also opted out of payment for order flow, so they don't sell your trades to third parties. Public's community is about 40% women and 45% people of color, so its members come from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. Conversations on public span deep dives into new IPOs, as well as general insights on financial wellness and category trends. You can even use group chats to build investing clubs with your friends. Head over to public.com to sign up and start with a free slice of stock. Get going with as little as $1, and if you're looking to transfer your portfolio over from another brokerage, they'll even cover fees for accounts valued at over $150. Some fine print, valid for U.S. residents 18 years and older, and subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. Hey everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from Fintech Today, where we talk about all things fintech. And in this episode, I am joined by Bo Jang, the co-founder and CEO of Privacy.com. Bo, how are you? Good. I'm doing great. Uh, excited to be on here. Uh, excited to have you. Um, so first off, I have been less familiar with privacy.com and I'd assume other users are too versus something that uh, many of us use all the time, like a PayPal, for instance, in the fintech space. I feel like almost everyone's familiar with what PayPal is, whether they're in fintech or not. So tell me exactly what is privacy.com? Like when I think of the name, it sounds like something that's going to, I don't know, like help me protect myself and my data online or something like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, we started with a consumer product, uh, which makes it really easy for individuals uh, to generate new card numbers um, with our browser extension and mobile app. Um, so it's really good for staying safe and secure online, uh, making sure that you aren't overcharged for you know that uh, subscription that you signed up for. Um, in general, like it's a really versatile tool. Um, and recently, actually, we started. Um, we started uh, providing our developer API uh, to businesses and developers um, in order to create cards programmatically. Okay, so if me as a consumer wanted to use privacy.com, it'd be me signing up for FinTech Today's premium subscription, which everyone should sign up for, but also making sure those people at FinTech Today, they don't overcharge me for that subscription, man. <laughs> um, and then from the, the business side, it would be, you offering that same sort of uh, like if, I guess if fintech today wanted to issue cards for some contractors or something like that, explain the business side to me a little bit, and then I want to dive into why you guys not necessarily pivoted, but like usually I find companies do only B two C or only B two B and not both. So talk to me a little bit about that thought process. Yeah, that's a great question. So. Um, if FinTech today wanted to start a bank, um, you could work with our APIs and uh, we could help you um, 
uh, or I should say, if you wanted to start a neobank, um, we, <laughs> uh, you could work with us and we could help um, issue cards. Um, we, we focus less on sort of the expense management use cases. Um, that's not really sort of our bread and butter. Um, bread and butter is sort of the API. Um, in terms of like the decision to um, spin up a second business line, it really came out of like, you know, in the process of building our consumer product, we built all this infrastructure for ourselves. And in talking to other companies and other developers, we realized that there was kind of this gap in the market where um, there doesn't today exist this really accessible, developer-friendly um, issuing uh, API. And we had that for ourselves and decided to sort of open it up for other developers um, because you know we figured this is something that the market kind of needed and um, we thought we could have kind of a positive impact on the world. When did you guys make that switch? Because you, like you said, you started out with more of the consumer-facing product. How long was it after you started that that you added the B2B product? Yeah, so we started our um, we started building um, in in partnership with a small number of developers actually about a year and a half ago. Uh, and last year, we felt kind of ready to open it up to. Uh, third-party developers uh, in August. Uh, so that's when we announced it. Uh, and uh, we've just been kind of building since then. Got it. Um, so someone like me, I've never used a privacy.com. I always, I guess, maybe I'm naive and I felt comfortable putting my credit card information in there. But that just brings me to the question of like, what are the biggest use cases that you see? Is it things like subscriptions or is that just the first one that came to mind? Yeah, we definitely see a lot of different subscription use cases uh, for, for our virtual cards, our consumer product. But um, I think the beauty of it is that it's really versatile. Um, and um, a lot of our audience and user base cares about security and privacy. But um, there's also a good number of folks that just want to have more control over you know, how their uh, money is spent. Yeah, I mean, if hackers can hack an oil pipeline, I, I feel like it's only a matter of time until my card gets hacked online as well. So maybe I should start using privacy.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you also have some news that's coming out too. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. There's some some funding news and then some some rebranding going on here too. Yeah. So uh, we're we've announced that we're raised we've raised uh, forty three million dollars. In our Series B, led by BVP, um, and as part of that, we're launching our um, issuing APIs as a separate brand called Lithic. Um, it's really a recognition of like the uh, opportunity that we have um, in building our infrastructure and opening it up to um, other developers and startups. So it sounds like a lot of the focus wants to be on the B2B side. I would assume that's because you guys are getting a lot of traction there? Yeah, so we've we've definitely had a lot of traction on the B2B side. Um, you know, I think even when we launched it last summer, um, we didn't really realize how big the opportunity was. Um, with sort of the amount of feedback that we've received and just the pipeline, um, we realized earlier this year that um, this actually needs to be its own standalone brand. Is it easier from like a marketing perspective and whatnot as well to have it as a standalone brand where it sort of gets segmented out a bit? Like what are the pros and cons to that? And what drew you to the conclusion that it does need to be that separate entity? 
Yeah, I think a big part of it is from a marketing perspective. Um, Privacy.com is a really strong brand for consumers and people that care about privacy and security. Uh, whereas like, you know, I think when we look at our infrastructure and API product, uh, it's a lot less about that. Um, it's much more about building a reliable platform that other developers and businesses can, you know, run their business on top of. So back when you started this, I feel like, I mean, over the past year, payments in general has changed a ton, but it's changed even more since you guys started this. Uh, what, what is really, what have been the key takeaways you've seen from the past few years and what's changing and how people pay and how merchants are, you know, creating their checkout pages and how businesses are issuing cards? Yeah, so I think the most interesting thing is like how like people talk about like embedded payments and uh, whatnot. And I think we are really actually seeing that unfold. Um, software is eating the world, um, as Mark Andreessen famously said many years ago. Um, and as part of that, um, you are starting to just see a lot more companies uh, embed payments in their, uh, you know, in, in their in their workflow, uh, and it's like kind of a win-win for everyone. Um, it's a much, you know, more seamless, uh, better customer experience. Uh, oftentimes, by embedding payments, you know, as a SaaS company, you're able to supple supplement per seat pricing uh, with, you know, a percentage of the volume flowing through your system. So. Um, it ends up kind of being a win-win uh, for both sort of the SaaS company and for the customer. What does privacy.com look like in two years? Is it still largely consumer focused? Do you think the B2B product really takes off and that's your main focus? Is there something else you're going to launch that would be a main focus? Talk me through that. Yeah, I think about our B2B and our um, consumer products as like having like somewhat diverging trajectories in many ways. Um, I think people focus on, uh, especially in the world of like startups and fintech, a lot of times it's about like building as big and as like, getting as much scale as possible. Um, and, you know, I think maybe it's our roots, um, but with privacy.com, the core, you know, perspective for us has always been to like, you know, build a product that people really enjoy using and it doesn't have to be for every single person in the world. Um, and so when you when we think like a few years out, um, I really focus on like, you know, how do we continue delivering a really great customer experience for the um, customers that find value in a virtual card product, um, which does again is not necessarily sort of a mass market uh, use case. Um, on the API and the infrastructure side, that is another story. Um, I think uh, we are seeing like just even today, like a proliferation of different use cases um, in different um, industries um, that, you know, we just couldn't have imagined even, you know, six to 12 months ago. If privacy.com is successful, then like when I think of payments, I just think this massive market. So how big could privacy.com actually get? Um, so I think on the consumer side, again, it's it's less about the scale of the business, but more about like sort of building a really great product. Um, in terms of the infrastructure and Lithic, uh, I think there is still an opportunity to build, um, you know, a um, 
Stripe, Square, or Adyen scale business on the issuing side. Um, I think there's no one that is really focusing on um, building accessible and really, really modern infrastructure around card issuance. Um, and so uh, that's sort of, um, I think, the scale of opportunity that we're thinking about. Those that are not familiar with those companies, we're talking like $50, $100 billion market cap companies there. So pretty big scale at that pace. Um, another area of payments that has just really been taking off this past year, which kind of surprised me because I was not a believer in this space when it first started, is Buy Now, Pay Later or BNPL. Is there a play for privacy.com in there? Um, you know, I think... I think there potentially is, but we don't really have anything planned right now, uh, to be totally honest. I, 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 I'll admit that similarly, I did not realize um, that by now pay later would be so big um, as well. Um, and I think on the consumer side, like what we've seen is like historically um, our customers um, and our niche tends to be um, more, um, more affluent um, and tend to find sort of less value um, in sort of a buy now, pay later use case. Um, now, I think as we sort of expand and um, depending on what customers tell us, like we're definitely open to it, but um, in sort of just like historical, um, you know, conversations with customers, um, we've generally found that that's not something that's at least resonated with uh, our, our customer base on the consumer side. What are some of the other demographics of your customers? And you said they they tend to be a little bit more affluent. What I mean, are they baby boomers? Are they Gen Z? Are they millennials like you and me? Uh, and tell me a little bit more about them. Yeah, I mean, they tend to they obviously tend to be security conscious. Um, they tend to use. Uh, I think one one interesting uh, theme that we found is like people just explain it as like it's kind of like a password manager uh, for my payment card. Uh, and so that's how like I think a lot of our customers think about us. And there's definitely a pretty significant overlap uh, when you look at like sort of our customer base and folks that use password managers or are more tech savvy. Um, you know, generally tend to be coastal. Um, they do tend to be a little older um, and, uh, you know, generally more security conscious. Do you think that younger generations will eventually move to someone like you? Or how are you thinking about tailoring your offering to make sure that uh, you are catering to as big of an audience as possible? Um, on the consumer side, I think it goes back to like we're less concerned about being everything for everyone. Um, we're focused on providing an accessible product. Um, for folks that find value in the in the sort of control and granularity of virtual cards for their day-to-day -day use. But, um, and it's really around sort of productizing that and making that super easy uh, in a sort of for a day-to-day -day use case. Um, and I think we really actually don't think so much about like, you know, how do we um, provide a more mass market um, use case? Um, I, I think it's, um, it's something that um, we've realized that isn't necessarily going to be for everyone, but uh, we want to be the best for the people that that uh, care about it. From this conversation, it sounds like, you know, consumer has done so well. And with the B2B stuff being more in its early days, that's, that's where you see most of the opportunity. Am I am I thinking that correctly? Yeah, I think from a financial scale and reach perspective, um, we definitely think that um, there is sort of more uh, market opportunity uh, in, in sort of the uh, 
in the developer API product. What kind of businesses have been the biggest users of this so far? And do you see that changing or do you see like, focusing on a certain niche right away? Uh, I think what's been most interesting is sort of how diverse uh, the different our, our customer base on the API side has, has been. Um, just to give you an example, uh, we work with a commercial fleet warranty provider. Um, and so what happens historically with commercial fleet warranty is, you know, if your uh, truck breaks down, uh, you're uh, you take the truck to the mechanic and you pay the mechanic out of pocket. It's ten or twenty thousand dollars, and then you file a claim, and you know you get paid back maybe thirty days later. Um, with our API, the insurance provider, warranty provider, is able to generate a card on the fly and pay the mechanic directly. Um, so it kind of cuts out this back and forth claims process, and it ends up being like kind of a win-win for everyone. I think that's one of my favorite examples to give, just because it's like it shows like how. Um, diverse the set of use cases are. We have that. We have use cases like that. We have uh, use cases uh, like you know Challenger Bank card issuance. Um, we have uh, use cases where like you know we're helping uh, procurement software providers streamline um, their their uh, vendor payments. Um, and so uh, I think what's real what's most exciting about the next couple of years for me personally is just seeing the number of use cases that come out of making something that historically has costs, you know, on the order of half a million dollars in six to 12 months. Uh, and what happens when you make something like that effectively self-serve and pay as you go? Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but I'm fascinated by this story of where like a mechanic can like, use this virtual card. How did you guys come across that um, use case? Like, I just can't imagine like Bo and team going to pitch a bunch of uh, developers and mechanics being like, hey, you need to use this virtual card. Like, how did they discover you guys? I think that's the beauty of having like, you know, open accessible APIs versus, you know, putting, uh, you know, your APIs in your sandbox behind like an MSA or like, uh, you know, long form contract. Um, they just came to us. Um, and uh, that's fascinating. They, yeah. Was this something that came about right away or was this more of a recent thing? Because I, I would love it if like a, a mechanic was the first customer for an API for you. Yeah, so um, it was pretty early on for us. I think it was like near mid last year when we first launched um, and announced the API. Uh, but since then, you know, we've seen tons of other use cases, you know, across different different industries, you know, like travel, uh, media buying, and and so on. Um, I think one of our first customers actually came to us and um, they were reverse engineering our mobile APIs to get access to our card create APIs. And um, that's, I think one, that was one of our light bulb moments where it's like, Hey, like, you know, this is like the definition of product market fit. If developers are trying to reverse engineer your APIs in order to, you know, get access to uh, functionality. Yeah, that is a very good sign, right? It's almost like trying to do like a mock-up of something else in order to get access to it, or I don't know. I'm trying to think of a really good example for this, but I'm not good on this whole engineering front. I'll leave that to people like you that are very, very good at it. But that is, that's all that we have time for today, and I feel like we're going to have to come back in a few months to see how everything's going with that the money that you just raised and the the rebranding to really build out that B2B side because I think you guys have a lot of exciting things coming up. Yeah, thank you.
Um, but that is it for today's episode of Tux Time. If you enjoyed this, go rate it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify Podcasts. Tweet about it. Tell your friends about it. Um, lots of great episodes coming up. So we look forward to seeing you next time. But until then, thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having me.